but it felt right to maybe see if we can help people who are starting to see these kind of self-driven adventures as another option to complement races. The word itself, to me, and how it's then influenced my racing, is, is it takes you beyond the bounds of your preconceived limits. It's about doing something that you don't know you can definitely finish. But the, men the mental side of that became part of the adventure for me because it was exploring what was in my head. Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. This is episode five in the first series of our podcast on living the ultra life. The last three episodes were centered around adaptability and not necessarily by design, but we started to quickly realize it was a sizable topic and if we were going to look into it properly, we'd keep on going with it until we were happy, which was about three episodes. We started first with how we've been reacting to the significant changes we've all had to make as a result of the COVID pandemic. And we've moved on to how we've learned to better deal with change through our running, training and work lives. Last week, we talked more about what the future of our running might look like and how our focus may shift a little from busy race schedules to creating and performing our own personal running adventures. We also stumbled into the area of identity and labels, a subject that likely merits some further conversation, but perhaps at a later date. So today it felt like it was a great time to talk about the practicalities of creating and delivering your own running adventure. Something that clearly takes a little more organisation than just signing up to a race, sorting travel and training for it. We had some really useful feedback on our last episode and we were reminded that many of us class racing itself as the big adventure. And you're totally right, it's still a big reason why we both race even when it's going back to the same event year after year potentially. It's just perhaps an easier way to bag yourself that adventure fix. So we'll maybe have some discussion around that too. We're really trying to keep the structure of these conversations pretty natural and fluid and not plan out a clear route map for the chat. So we'll just see where this takes us. James is here to co-host once again. He doesn't need an introduction and he cannot be labelled. So here is episode five of the Pylon Ultra pod. Hi James, we're back in our makeshift studios, it's time to talk again, it's our favourite time of the week for me anyway, uh, we're obviously talking virtually, we can't see each other face to face, but you've obviously spent a fair amount of time on these kind of calls and uh, through your work and family and everything else, so how have you been finding these communication channels? It's amazing, I was talking to Louise, I think it was on Saturday, I was just thinking, like obviously it was Louise's birthday this weekend, so she was getting loads of videos and stuff and you helped contribute to a video for her and thinking 20 30 years ago this this would have been even harder this situation because we wouldn't have had all these ways to communicate video calls messenger yeah. facetime whatever it might be yeah. but they're also really mentally draining because it feels like life is yeah. one big zoom call and you're missing that personal touch i mean even today we're recording this at half past five it is and i've been on video calls since about half past nine this morning constantly and it's brilliant for connecting with the people I work with, my team. But at the same time, I'm finding it quite draining. And I really enjoy it. It's great to see you through the prism of my phone screen. But <laughs> I'd much rather be yeah. standing side by side with you. So it's brilliant, but it's frustrating, I guess, is the message. Yeah, I think even before we started recording there, we had a very quick conversation and you were saying it's hard to find the time that's your time then. So some of these meetings tend to roll on a wee bit, you know, and, and that's quite easy for it to happen and... 
in a video conference because people think, well, it's no big deal. You don't have to be anywhere. Whereas in work, you might shut down a, a meeting a bit more quickly. I, I think as well, though, because you're working from home, you're spending more time at home. I've lost a wee bit of the discipline that would come with that. You know, like yeah. like shutting the laptop down and then going, right, that's me finished for the day. It, it just leaks into it. And it's back to what we talked about maybe in episode one or two when we talked about routine being really important. And I keep having to check myself on that. Like at night, I would do my stretching at a certain time and my mobility at a certain time. And yeah, I've found that yeah. drifting a wee bit and I'm having to just really check myself. And technology's invasive, right? Um, it's emancipating and invasive in equal measure. And we need to make sure we use it for emancipation and not allow it to become controlling. Yeah, yeah. We obviously did a lockdown learning session for our athletes this week and we used Zoom. Uh, and it was really positive and I think we all took something really positive from it and it was good to come together as a community and those things we didn't tend to do in the past until we had this this pandemic situation obviously but I think it's probably something we'll take on going forward that we'll maybe try and do some of those things a bit a bit more regularly. Yeah totally I mean I hadn't done a strength and conditioning or a yoga class in my life until lockdown so it took lockdown yeah. to get me to the gym and just so happens the gym's my living yeah. room right. Um, short shorts and all. Yeah. And how are the quads today after Matt's, <laughs> Matt's leg session <laughs> I last ran, night? I um, ran 11.5-12 miles this morning and got up the first hill. I could feel it. I could feel it. And uh, yeah, that was yeah. really tough. It was good though. It was really good, but it was tough. Yeah, you can definitely feel it in the first 20 oh, minutes yeah, or so, definitely. Right, shall we crack on? Yes, let's do that. Okie doke. Uh, so, as I said in the introduction, it feels like we've already covered the subject of adaptability from initial reactions to the lockdown conditions that we're in, right through to last week's chat about what our running is going to look like over the next 6 to 12 months. I know we have loads of other subjects to discuss, but it felt right to maybe see if we can help people who are starting to see these kind of self-driven adventures as another option to complement races, or as a great alternative to any cancellations that we're, we're still seeing. So I felt a good place to start, therefore, might be to talk about the word adventure itself. Everyone uses it in different ways. It means different things to everybody. So maybe worth talking through that first of all, and maybe ask you about um, how that's been a significant part of your racing to date. I mean, adventure... Like, like any word there's so many ways you can take meaning from it like yeah. you, you could really you could turn it into like a whole treatise about what, what does the word mean and it actually fundamentally comes down to what it means to you so an adventure to you for example like doing UTMB over a couple of days that's beyond the pale to someone for an adventure might just be for someone who says maybe got limited mobility adventure for them might be just getting to the shops one day and I think that, I think yeah. that then comes back to is, is the word itself to me and how it's then influenced my racing is, is it takes you beyond the bounds of your preconceived limits and puts you at risk of not meeting your intention, but at the hope of doing something that just excites you and gives you butterflies in your stomach. And that's what it became when you talk about adventure to me. It's the kind of thing where I sit and think about it, I go, I want to do that because I don't know if I can and I'm yeah. not sure if I'll be able to but I'm going to have a load of fun trying. So we've, we will end up touching on Endeavour. That's a good example. But other examples for me is, is the first time I really felt that was when I first entered a 24-hour race. And I hadn't yeah. run more than 40 miles at that point. And I was like, I'm really scared about this. I'm really like... That's quite a big, it's quite a big step up though. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I had a year between 
maybe maybe it was ten months because I think the entries opened in sort of October November and the 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 race was in September the next year, so that gave me a year to prepare, but it also gave me a year to think about it. Um, yeah. And when I when I think about adventure in my racing, it's races that make me think like that. When I think or like an FKT or something, it makes me think I'm really excited about this because I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but it's going to be a whole bunch of fun trying to find out. I think it's a couple of points on the back of that, really, and I think it was Des or something that had raised it last week, and I mentioned it earlier on in the introduction around, we had that conversation last week, and we were almost saying it's it's either racing or it's adventure, but we actually realised that the racing is adventure in many ways, you know, and I I guess it was a good reminder for me, because I travel a lot to races, and, and that's a big part of it for me, you know, going to new places, and living in new places, and trying to get ready for a race that you haven't done before, or a race that you've done before, and you want to do it in a different way, so um, adventure can be found in lots of different places, I guess. Well, you know what? You've actually really made a, a point hit home with me there that I guess the adventure part of racing isn't just from the gun going off to you, you busting the tape at the end. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and we, we've we've had it, you know, we've had it where we've travelled with folks and friends where you've maybe had Graham out at Bartley, I've had my folks out at, say, Rocky Raccoon, or my dad been part of the GB squad when he, he comes out there and helps. I think I take... I think adventure itself then becomes part of your experience it's the experience and what you yeah. take from that and the stories you can tell because we we rarely tell you can tell a story of a race right I, you know I put on my gutties and I, I ran hard from the off and across the line and this happened in the race and oh, there was attrition and there was a protagonist and an antagonist but actually I think the best stories that I've ever heard is where there's a backstory that happens pre-race or something happens post-race that really connects yeah. emotionally and I think maybe that's what it is. Adventure to me and racing is, is you've got an emotional connection and there's an experience that comes out the back of it. Especially when that experience is maybe discovering the International House of Pancakes, James. Oof, that was... Um, <laughs> that was... <laughs> that's, a, that's a rocky raccoon one, oh, that, surely. Yeah, uh, we, when we found at IHOP um, the day before the race and it was um, it was free pancake refills. They would just come out and give you extra pancakes and I'm like... You, you, free pancake refills yeah it's wow. not, not even a coffee refill it's like oh, do you need more pancakes sir and it's those American ones that yeah. are like those American ones that are like the size of um, a planet and you just put them on your plate and I ended up I must have had about six or seven of them um, because yes. you felt you had to um, yeah that's one thing I'll miss about maybe not getting a chance to travel to North America this year is the IHOP yeah do you get them in Canada do you yeah um, we went to Canada yeah. two or three years ago and we went up to Niagara Falls um, and we specifically stayed at a hotel that was next to the IHOP yeah because <laughs> nice. deliberately deliberately yeah kids loved it kids uh-huh. loved it have some chocolate Bre- pancakes breakfast, breakfast every day yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, I guess it, it's a good point though that um, adventure comes in different shapes and sizes, and and how we traditionally see the word adventure kind of sparks images of being in mountains and everything else. But certainly, we've got quite different attitudes maybe towards adventure, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in an extreme environment. It's about doing something that you don't know you can definitely finish it, you know, and that's that can come through races or it can come through anything that you've created yourself yeah yeah you're, you're 100% right so it's, it's back to that word experience isn't it like you, you use Des as the example an adventure for Des might be to go to a square outside his house which is 400 metres round with four corners um, and running that for 12 hours yeah it's not your idea yeah. of an adventure because you'd be like well that doesn't get me up high it doesn't get me in the mountains doesn't but actually for him, that's the experience and the story that comes at the back of that. That's why when you see stuff on social media where people are doing their garden marathons and stuff, 
Yeah. Good on them. That's their adventure. Yeah, it, it's an interesting topic, that one. We've, we've had a brief discussion yeah. about it, and there, there's a lot of positivity around those, and it's maybe not for everyone, but there's also a fair bit of criticism around that as well, that people are doing things that are um, potentially harmful to themselves or, or just feels like it's kind of pointless. But I guess if they are motivated to go and do something like that, then they should get some kind of credit for it. Yeah, and I've seen posts like, for example, if there was no... Instagram would anyone ever run a garden marathon and the answer to that question is yeah. why do you feel the need to ask that question yeah why does yeah. It, why, why does yeah. it bother you you know and, and we, we often judge people for what they're doing through the lens of or maybe our own either our own envy or our own standards and that's back to that point about that's their adventure that's their that's the that's their hook that's the thing that got them out there and if getting a bit of kudos on social media or Strava or whatever you um, helps motivate them for it good on them yeah, I mean, it's not it's not hugely harmful to anyone, is it? And it might motivate other people to go and find their own adventure too. So there's positives on that side. Speaking of Des, actually, I'm sure he had told me at one point he uh, took a bus to London, ran a marathon in London and got back on the bus again and way back up the road. And that was that was an adventure. I mean, that sounds like a an adventure to me, even though there's no mountains involved. He he absolutely did do that. Um, he got the night, bus, That's awesome. the night bus down, like a Friday night and a Saturday, ran around London, and I th- it might have been close to the marathon route, I'm sure Des will clarify, and then get the night bus home. That That's an adventure, right? right? Because that's not... That yeah, is, that's yeah. amazing. And it's back to the experience. He's got a story to tell on the back of that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And if you look at that versus a normal training weekend, which you won't remember half the training weekends you have, you'll definitely remember that experience. Mm-hmm. He'll remember that experience. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's funny because you can, you can make many adventures as part of your training, so... A good example would be is if you've given me an exceptionally long run in training, I might go, right, I'm going to do this point to point. So I'm going to run from where I live to the coast and get picked up or get the yeah. train home. And you can turn, you can yeah. even turn your training week on week into an adventure and you can do some cool things. I've had some really good conversations with athletes this week about how they can create that sense of adventure and experience in their training. And some of the stuff coming back, Paul, is exceptional. There's the creativity they're coming up with, which we've talked about before, about how... Maybe some of the training and racing belies a lack of creativity, or actually, I think it replaces creativity and, and um, stifles it. And I think we're starting to see that now with some of the things both our athletes are doing, but people in social media as well. Yeah. And maybe people, they get caught up in the big adventure that they're going to have that might be three or four, five months down the line, that they think that's their piece of creativity. So they, they tend not to do anything that's particularly creative in their training leading up to that. And I think you can set yourself small goals and challenges along the way that keeps you even more motivated and determined to do well in your bigger adventure, uh, which we'll maybe talk about later. So um, when it comes to thinking about what you might want to do as this mini or bigger running adventure, you obviously have to find something that really excites you enough that you're motivated to train properly. So you can give your best effort on the day and in the event itself and you can at least enjoy it and not not feel like, you know, I, I wish I had been much fitter when I went in to do this adventure. Have you found something that excites you either now or in the past? And and what what was it that's excited you about it? So even, even if it was Endeavour or even if it was some of those longer runs that you set yourself, like maybe I've given you, you know, a 50k to do at the weekend, but you've gone and you've gone and created something in your mind, some kind of map or some place you want to go or you're going to get to the end point and somebody's going to pick you up there and it's going to feel like more of an adventure. So what what things have really helped you to to create those in your mind? And I think 
when it comes to creating the the the, the adventure of the experience for me, um, it's about doing something that I can connect with. That that's the first yeah. thing. There has to be a purpose to it. Um, so, I I like looking at maps and seeing the ground covered. So I've run to Edinburgh quite a few times because I think it's just quite cool. Yeah. When you look at the map of Scotland and go, I've just went from there to Edinburgh and it's four, 44 yeah. miles. The centre to the coast. Yeah. Ah, yeah. It looks just looks really cool. Um, or another example of one I did was um, when we were training for, I think it was, I think it was Rocky Raccoon, one of the, I, I, liked, I like to do an iconic training run, which is kind of like an adventure yeah. run in, in every block of training. And the one I chose for Rocky Raccoon was there's um, a peak on Croy Hill and you can approach it from three different sides. And it's about a kilometre from each side, but it's about 350 foot of climbing from each side. And what I did yeah. was um, I did a marathon up to that peak, but coming up at it from all three different angles multiple times. So by the time I was finished, I was done, but I felt as if I'd put in a great effort. And I felt as if when I looked at the map, it looked really, it was like a bear's claw or something on the map because you're <laughs> coming out from those three different angles. And and for me, it was that just the sense of knowing what that would look like, testing whether I could actually do that, both mentally, but it was less about the physical. I knew I could do it physically, but the, men, the yeah. mental side of that became part of the adventure for me because I was exploring what was in my head. And I got excited, you know, I'd, I'd sit at night when I've got a, like a long run to do or a hill session to do, I'll sit at night thinking that over and over going how can i how can i make this how can i make this something different and get excited about it um and I, I then i'll choose something that i know will take me out my comfort zone because when it takes me out my comfort zone and i achieve it i'll not only have trained physically but i've trained mentally so adventure gives me a sense of satisfaction but also helps do that thing that graham connolly uses the phrase a lot about callous in the mind but in a good way yeah i, I like to do that yeah so i get i get excited about when I'm doing an adventure about finding a limit that I haven't pushed through yet and just trying to get to that. Not too far ahead, not out of my comfort zone, but yeah. enough to get me um, stretched. But it can actually be a relatively small thing that you just like the look of that when it's done. I like to see you know, the lines on the graph filled out or I like to see me getting to the coast. It can be small things. And you've seen that recently with lots of people you know, running every street in their village or town recently. And it's just to see what that looks like on Strava. And it's a challenge. That's a brilliant example, actually, that running every street. I, it's in my head to do that, actually, in Croy. I need to do that. And you know what? Commitment on this pod. I will have this done by the end of next week. I will do it on every street. Okay. You heard it here, folks. I'll check yeah, up yeah. and uh, you'll have to answer. Answer live. For me, I think um, there's generally maybe three things that people need in order to get excited about a challenge or one of three things probably is to be more accurate um, it's either maybe something that's never been done before at all so that's about finding a creative approach to um, dreaming up something that's quite bold or audacious and you know trying to link up a route or a mountain route or something that's maybe never been done before maybe something that they've never done before so it might be that i want to go and run 50 miles or i want to um, do something that's very solo and unsupported and that feels like it's something that's very new to me or it's something competitive obviously you want to set a new record on an existing trail or set in a fastest known time or a P or, or a pb for yourself yeah. ultimately on a course that course that you've run a number of times and i guess motivation is different for all three and it's obviously very individual as well we get motivated by different things you like to see things visually on a map can be offer you a level of motivation um, but I guess across the board, you need to have a compelling reason to do it. 
um, and it might be something that just excites you or scares you. You talked about that when you stepped up to a 24-hour race. You know, you had this kind of... It's quite a nice feeling, isn't it, when you've taken the plunge into something that you think, oh, I'm not sure if I can really do that, but I've signed up now. So there's there's a, there's a real excitement about that, isn't there? And it yeah. really kind of spurs you on. It's kind of like... I guess the phrase you might use for that is, is how you embrace trepidation. And, and you, you yeah. turn that into a catalyst for... Um, for, I guess for growth and taking it serious because we sometimes think oh we'll just stick a thing in the, the, the diary and we'll go I'm going to do this on that date but you should prepare for that if it's something that causes you trepidation as much as you would prepare for a big event maybe more maybe yeah. more actually I guess that's a point though for people that are very experienced ultra runners and have done some quite extreme events and stuff it's harder to get that feeling again isn't it because you almost feel like you've got to go bigger and better and faster Whereas the guys that have maybe only ever run a marathon, for example, they've got loads of great opportunity yeah. ahead of them, don't they? To, to run their first 50k and then run their first 50 miles and all that stuff. You don't quite get the same buzz unless... Or I, I probably don't get the same buzz unless I'm doing something that feels like it's a bit more extreme for me. Yeah, and, and I, guess, I guess trepidation doesn't just come from the danger associated with something. Um, you yeah. know, like for me, I, I could never see me doing like a... A ridge run. I just I'm I'm scared of heights, right? I I, I don't mind saying that. Yeah. The idea of running across the curved ridge and doing a skyline run, I, I I would probably have to sit down at the edge of the trail just out of pure fear, and I'm cool with that. Um, and then and then yeah. I'm going, well, I, well, I try and do that, but I, I still want to get better at that. So there's, so even if you're you're an ultra runner who's done super long events or done some extreme events, there's probably still things that you can take at the outer edges of your comfort zone and stretch them. So. The idea of running yeah. for 24 hours doesn't give me any fear at all. Of course it doesn't. You know, I'm experienced in it. It doesn't bother me. It's okay. But ask me to run for 15 minutes across a ridge. I'm, I've got brown pants. You know, it's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that probably leads us on to some conversation potentially about risk. Yeah. Because uh, some of this is related to risk, I guess. And everybody has a different threshold and tolerance for risk. And it's obviously, or it's it's, it's normally determined by a level of experience. So uh, for me, running across a ridge doesn't feel as risky as it does to you because I've done it more times and I'm comfortable yeah. with it, which is fine. Um, and, and that's the way it should be. And I guess we're not really suggesting that people go out and do something that feels way too ambitious and, and way out of their comfort zone because um, it's it's not the thing they should necessarily be doing. But they want to feel like they're, they're taking on something that is a challenge, I guess. We need to bear in mind maybe that you might be training for a 100 miler that's been cancelled or something, uh, which is fine and you're in good shape to go and do it and it might be your first 100 miler. And then you think, well, I'm just going to go and do an adventure on my own. I'm going to run 100 miles. We, You shouldn't assume that it's the same proposition because it's not. It's a different proposition. There's a higher element of risk, obviously, if you're doing something on your own. And I think you need to bear that in mind. When we do that in a race, you're in a relatively safe environment in that there's aid stations, there's people around, there's medical staff if you need it, if something goes wrong and stuff. So I guess it's about assessing the level of risk as well um, and not doing something that's too much of a stretch. Yeah, there's a fine line between bold and reckless. Um, and, yeah. and I think as ultra runners, we stretch that line a lot. People look at what we do and they're like, I'm surprised you're still getting knees. Um, why haven't you died and all that stuff and you're like well actually I'm conditioned to that both physically and mentally so if you spoke to many ultra runners six seven years out and it kind of talks back to what you were just um, referencing Paul about how marathoners have got all those great opportunities ahead of them but actually very few of us would imagine we'd done the things we'd done 
And that's because you used the phrase comfort zone earlier. And that's kind of widely recognised. You've got your comfort zone, and then you've got your stretch zone, and then you've got your panic zone. And I think you want to keep that risk in that stretch zone where you know there's a risk of not meeting your intention, not being there, and you might be in danger, um, but you've got enough smarts and you've prepared enough to get out of it. So you've got the right equipment, you've got the right um, yeah. contingencies in place. Like us at Endeavour carrying a, um, a tracker so that if we had to press a button to get some help in, we could. That's, that's a way of mitigating that risk. And then the panic zones when you're doing something that actually there's a very high likelihood of failure and that failure might even come just because you're, you're beyond the realms of your physical or mental capability. And I think when you're, you're managing the risk, it's always about going, if I was put in a position, could I adapt to it and could I resolve it in that moment? And if not, what would be my reaction be? And you talked about 100 mile races. So if I'm doing a 100 mile race, like say one of the Centurion races, there's somebody every seven miles with water yeah. and... Um, yeah. drinks and food for me you're running solo that's not happening you know it's like your bat what's the what's the phrase Laz uses at Bartley uh, help is not coming yeah well yeah that, <laughs> yeah it's not yeah. you know you, you run a Thames Path 100 you're, you're running amongst people and you're seeing you're seeing someone every few miles for, for help and support yeah so the risk there's a lot less whereas Bartley for someone who's only ever done a Thames Path as an example or even a West Highland Way Bartley's panic zone material <laughs> you know that's you're yeah. way beyond stretch yeah. zone yeah yeah I guess so um, just on your point there then about risk it's, it's quite a good one if we relate that to the last endeavour that we did yeah and there were some significant risks to that project um, and I guess even within the core team and the organising team as well there was different attitudes to risk there you could see but I guess in the end, we came we came with the best solution that we could to try and mitigate some of those risks. You know, like you said, the the tracker and the sat phone and four by four car in case we needed to access anywhere. But we did take that on with that big element of risk hanging over us that something could go wrong. We we absolutely did. So we identified the most dangerous sections and ran in pairs. Um, so we knew there was yep. river crossings, and you've mentioned all the, some of the other stuff. And I think maybe in something that goes even before that was the identification of the risk. We probably, what, what were we, 102 hours for that run? Um, I think it was 102 yeah. hours. We probably planned for man hours between us and the full team twice, thrice that length of time, going through the maps and yeah. working at the logistics, having calls. When you when you add all of that up, and it's that's the point, is, is when you know something that's as risky as that, <laughs> running the Cape Wrath trails, as they're known in inverted commas, <laughs> in the winter, um, you, you can't just stand on those trails um, with a, a, a backpack and expect to be okay. You have to put the prep work in. So you mitigate that risk. So high risk, panic zone, but you can bring that panic zone back in by planning well and preparing well and having some probabilities that you've you've mapped out. Like what, what if scenarios? Yeah, I suppose some of that then becomes about mindset, doesn't it? It becomes about how you're going to react when something does go wrong. Because inevitably, in something like that, which was whatever it was, 500 and what was it, 30 miles or something, things are going to go wrong, inevitably. Um, and it's about how you then choose to react to that and, and maybe being confident enough to be calm about a situation and, and work through it. So there was one point actually... Um, Early on in the early sections, I think John and Kaz had been out and the weather was really, really bad, um, to be fair to them. And I think I was due to go out next with Chris. So Graham and I are sitting in the motorhome and the wind is absolutely howling and the rain's really bad. And you know what the trails yeah. are like. There were no trails. You're running across bogs and stuff. 
And obviously, I get really, really focused on delivering what we had set out to do, which is fine. It's the right thing, and you know, and that's what's that's what's made us successful at times is this drive to complete the task that we'd set out to do. But then I had to take a step back at one point. And I'm thinking if this weather continues like this, and maybe Chris hadn't turned up at that point, so it was potentially I was going to go out on my own into the darkness and and on Cape Wrath Trail that you maybe have to take a step back and go, well, if we have to stop for an hour to let the worst of this weather by, then it's not the end of the world. We'll just have to we'll just have to continue and, and we'll make up whatever time that we can. So I guess it's about trying to stay calm in the moment sometimes and, and maybe, like you said, rehearse some of those what-if scenarios in your mind. Yeah, 100%. And you cannot... You cannot... Um, you can never get time back. And I use a phrase in work quite often where I say, the one thing you can be absolutely certain about a forecast is it's wrong. So the one thing you can be certain about, um, and we're seeing that a lot with what's going on in the world just now, but what you can do is, is you can always take a calm mind to how you react to that being wrong. So if you go, good example is in, in Endeavour, Grant and I went off course. And I said, we were tired, it was four in the morning, we'd been running through the night and we were up at the highest point of this mountain and it was just like it was it was wasn't it wasn't my comfort zone right this this was really deep <laughs> in the stretch zone for me because i was letting grant navigate because he's an experienced guy but i i just knew we went off course but i didn't challenge him on it and then i, yeah. I ran for we ran for about another half mile and eventually i'm like no and camly was like i think we might be off course let's take a minute compare what we're seeing on our watches we take a minute we can check the map because we had a map with us as part of risk management and contingency yeah. Yeah. We checked it and we agreed we were off track. And what that meant was we didn't compound bad decision after bad decision after bad decision because we took the time to mitigate and manage the risk because we prepared and thought about it with us both having GPX yeah. files and all of that. So I think that's that's really important because when you go into the adventure side of things, the chances are the risks are going to be greater. Yeah, it's way more important in those things because I think we've probably all done it in races before that you kind of get this suspicion that you've maybe missed a turn somewhere. You haven't seen a flag for a while or something. And and I've definitely done it in races that I, I think, well, I don't want this to be true. So I'm just going to keep yeah. going just now. And I'm sure, I'm sure I'll see a flag over the next hill or something. And it's been the wrong decision. I've ended up having to go back, but I didn't want to face that. But if you're doing that on a solo adventure, then it can be pretty dangerous. And it's a good opportunity to learn how to better race as well and just retrace your steps. If it's going to cost you two to five minutes to go back and check it's definitely worth it because uh, more often than not if you have a suspicion that you've gone the wrong way you probably have gone the wrong way a great, a great question I, I tell people to ask themselves in that position is, is what would you advise someone else who was thinking what you're thinking just now and the advice would always be yeah. stop gather your thoughts check where you are yeah. And, and move forward yeah. from there but we're like no no I'm going to go I'm going to go I'm going to go and you end up in it a... it's almost like a mental thing you don't want to admit that you've gone the wrong way yeah. and you've wasted time already so I'm just going to keep on going and hope it's going to be okay and it very seldom and before is. you know so it, I've yeah. got much better in racing uh-huh. like, like you, at the, like <laughs> yeah. you at the Algarve Ultra Trail where you end up in the Briars <laughs> you're like am I back in battle <laughs> well, that, yeah that exactly. was it exactly yeah. yeah yeah okay and then even um, in terms of staying calm when things go wrong um I've run around the UTMB course a couple of times just in training or it might just be a day I'll do 50 miles and then get to Cormayur and get the bus home or something but last year I decided I'd just pack a tent and a sleeping bag and I'd run around the course over two to four days whatever I felt like doing kind of thing because they're quite long days obviously and 25 miles on a UTMB course isn't isn't like it's taking you three hours you yeah. know that's, that's a long day and uh 
I came over on the first night and it got really cold, you got a big climb and then you drop down towards Lac Combal. So you're maybe still, I don't know, a couple of hours from Cormayeur. And I thought, once, once I get over this climb, it's really cold and it's windy, I'll get down and it should be flatter and I can get the tent out and get sorted and get something to eat and sleep. And of course, I take out the tent, the tiny micro one-man tent that has a single pole, which is fine, but single poles have to be pinned down with uh, tent pegs. And of course, there were no tent pegs in the, <laughs> in the back. <laughs> yeah. So like, the automatic reaction is some kind of panic then i'm like oh no it's getting dark now i'm freezing my hands aren't working properly because my hands are freezing but you kind of learn to be a bit more calm about it and think well what can i do here to to get myself at least comfortable and safe um before i start making plans about what i'm going to do going forward and that, that's back to that kind of classic phrase about controlling the controllables right you can't change yeah. you can't change what happened you can only change your reaction to it and what goes and goes after that so in that case you're like oh no, I'm going to kick myself for not packing these tent pegs. But you just need to get over that because... You do, yeah. Because that's what happens. And and in many ways, right, that's part of the experience. It's part of the adventure is just finding out what can and can't go wrong and how you react to it. These adventures are brilliant from a growth point of view. We talk a lot on this pod about growth and that is the one thing that an adventure will give you above all else is you'll find out new things about yourself, both what motivates you and what your appetite is to do or what your appetite is for risk yeah okay so i was thinking for any listeners keen to maybe start small and then work towards something bigger i guess there'll always be some uncertainty in terms of what to do from a training perspective um so i thought it might be quite nice to talk through a few ideas Um, there's lots of things online at the moment there's as we've talked about on social media it's awash with stuff of people doing interesting stuff either in their gardens or connecting up trig points and all that kind of stuff so i guess um in terms of an ultimate goal if you were going to do something longer like a a point to point fkt or maybe some kind of big mountain round or something then i think it's really important you plan your training to support your attempt so almost set that like a fixed date but in the back of your mind knowing that you might have to move that date or anything and then I think we've maybe touched on it earlier. I think you can set yourself some other smaller goals as you're building towards that. So say say you've, you've chosen something that's 12 weeks or, or maybe even 16 at the moment because there's so much uncertainty at the moment. So say it was like a, a bigger mountain run or something. So I would I would encourage people then to look at your training and, and build in some of the recce runs can be a good way to keep yourself motivated and it gives you really specific training as well. And then... Maybe have a think about what the limiters might be in terms of your performance. So if it's going to be a big mountain round, so you'd be thinking about things like, well, I'm going to I'm going to destroy my, my quads, for example, because there's going to be a lot of descent or a lot of off-trail stuff that's going to be difficult on my joints and uh, everything else. So you can maybe plan in some of that work you know, up front and work on that quite carefully in terms of doing some additional strength stuff or some more balance and mobility stuff as well. Um, and I think people sometimes they'll set a big goal that's three or four months ahead and then they'll just do kind of general training. And I think it's important that you can still have these kind of smaller micro adventures too. You know, you could you could say that um, I'm going to pick that hill that's near my house, for example, because I need, I know I need to get stronger at ascending and descending. And every two weeks, I'm going to go and see if I can run that quicker each time and I'm going to do the training in between. And then it's quite a good way to monitor your training and, and to feel motivated that you are getting stronger and better. Yeah, yeah. 
I think those micro goals become really important. So a good example being you're talking about doing a mountain round, but if you're then doing all your training on the flat, you're not getting adapted towards yeah. that. I actually, and I talked about it earlier, in every training block, I like to have that kind of mini adventure as part of the training, but that's partly to keep me motivated for the training, but it's also to prepare me for the race. So I'll do something, if I'm doing a mini adventure, I'll do it so it's specific for the race. Um, so when I ran, when I trained for West Highland Way, there's the Antonine Trail Race Course, which is a 10k loop near me. It's got a thousand feet yeah. of climbing, it's all off-road. I'll do that six times. And that might not sound like a big adventure, it's 37 miles on trail, but it's really good training. Um, and then it's like, right, when I'm doing it, I want to keep, I want every lap to be consistent so that I'm, you know, I'm training well for it. And that becomes part of that goal towards a bigger goal. Now, in this case, it was a race, but races are adventures as well, as we talked about earlier. But if, if, if I, I do have my eye on a point-to-point um, fastest known time at the point where it's yep. safe to do, and when it's safe to do it, I'll do exactly what you've just described. I'll make sure I'm on that route. I'll be studying it. I'll be understanding it. I already am. But I'll also be doing training specific to that and I'll create some mini goals in between. And that might be like yeah. going to the start of that route and running the first 30 miles at the pace I intend doing it on race day or, or on yeah. a, on attempt day, just so I know what it's going to feel like. So couldn't agree with you more, Paul, in the sense that you need those mi- micro goals in between times, but they should be specific and you have to train if you're going to do an adventure that's going to take it out of you and push you beyond your comfort zone, it stands to reason that you need to prepare and train for it like you would a race. I guess where people seem to be confused, and I've looked through some of the messages that we got back when we put out uh, our ad about what we were doing in this episode, is about the peaking and the tapering and what I do about period periodization uh, in my training when I don't quite know when my actual event's going to be. Um, and I think maybe that's worth kind of talking through. From my side of things, I think um, it depends what, what your adventure is or your activity if it really is something about purely about time and and pace and setting a fastest known time then it's maybe slightly more difficult uh, because you'll have like a normal peak in your training and then you would have some kind of taper as you would do normally but if it's something that's like i want to complete you know 100 miles or i want to complete a particular trail or something where the time is maybe less important i don't think you need such an extreme taper or such an extreme peak of your training either. And then if the event itself has to move out two weeks, then you have a bit of a challenge about maintaining fitness, but you're not necessarily going back out to try and hit another peak again, you know? And that's probably the best way to manage things like that. Yeah, yeah. So if you were doing like a winter Ramsey round, for example, yeah, you, you're, you're at the mercy of the weather. So you need to, yeah. you need to, you need to adapt. You've talked about adaptability a bit um, recently. But you need to be able to adapt to that, which means that you're not, it's not like a fixed date thing, but really what you're trying to get yourself is into a, 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 a I guess, a, a zone, into a ballpark, so that when, when the yeah. opportunity presents itself, you can go along, whether it be a weather window or a time window with your family or a logistic window. Um, take Dan Lawson, for example. Dan ran, or he made an attempt to run Joggle, was it last year or the year before? Um, I think it was the year, year before last. Maybe, and, yeah. Actually, Dan didn't plan and prepare for that over months and weeks. What happened was a window opened up a few weeks out from that and he could put the logistics together quickly and then go for it. But he he could do that because he trained to a high level and when there was an opportunity to pivot to something that he'd been after because he had time off work and he had the logistics and the support available, he went for it. And you know what? He he got, what, six, seven hundred miles in at a very good, below record pace. So... 
he could, yeah, it was quick. He, he was clearly in the right shape for it. So that's an example of where actually, even when you're doing periodization for something, you get yourself to a level of fitness, and actually, you're, the probability of what you decide to do can pivot quite quickly. But you can't just casually and blithely walk into something because the the reality is, is you'll probably end up suffering and not meeting. You, you'll not get the experience and the richness of the the adventure you're after. So. I think it's about getting yourself into the right position and then adapting both mentally and physically where if you have to move around the dates or what have you. And we're in a position where Nicola Sturgeon or Boris Johnson in the UK or, or Donald in America or, or whoever it might be around the world could actually say is, you're now restricted for three weeks the day before we're going to do something, which has happened to people. We know people that's happened to. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it happens quite a lot. I think people seem to be a little bit caught up in well, I can only peak and I can only peak for such a short period. You know, it can only be that one week in October that is going to be my absolute peak. And I think you're right in saying that, well, it can be a, a zone almost. You get yourself into that level and then it's a maintenance period if you have to do it before you then go into your event. So you're not hammering yourself in terms of recovery. You're just trying to keep yourself in that same kind of zone. And I, I can't imagine there's a huge difference in overall performance for versus you going out and trying to get a another peak in uh, which is probably unnecessary so I, I don't think it should hold anybody back at all no no i think th- th- there's a point is is i think you can i think you can under prepare right in terms of your fitness i think you can go in undercooked if you don't take the training serious and don't build properly um yeah but once you get to that point of peak once you've got that zone you just maintain at that point as, you, as you're describing so if somebody says i'm going to do it at some point in october so you, you basically work towards peaking for the start of october there or thereabouts with a bit of leeway in there, and then you just play it by you from there. And somebody might be like, it might be this Saturday I'm going to go for it. And you go, right, well, okay, let's let's just be adaptable. And you do it on a day-by-day basis. Because you know, you know yeah. you're ready to strike. You want to be ready to strike. And you're just choosing your moment at that point, rather than going, am I ready? You know, I'm ready. Just when I push the button is going to be the question now. Yeah. And what's your view on potentially... Not everybody wants to seek out an adventure. They're comfortable doing races, and I totally understand that, and I'm with that, and that's fine. But what's your view on people that have races cancelled and they've then got nothing in their calendar? Do you think it's a good idea that they keep that date in their calendar and maybe go and try and run their fastest marathon at that point, or I th- I... Or, or or just reassess and you know just try and stay fit and towards the end of the year and then see what races appear? Because I I think for some athletes that can be a really useful thing to do that. They've been maybe already been focused on that particular date and they've maybe trained already for three months and then the race that was a further two months ahead has been cancelled. There's still an opportunity for them to go out and run a really fast marathon time if, if that's something that keeps them excited about running and their training. Yeah, I think there's a there's a line between fixating on a date and um, testing the limits of your capabilities. Um, so I, I don't think... I wouldn't say to someone, right, do something on that date I think you should just keep the data in and go for it. I think it would be more a case of saying, well, now that you've lost the opportunity to do the race, let's look at what the opportunity is to do something fulfilling for you. So a good example is I've got someone who decided about less than a week ago that they want to have a crack at a fast marathon this coming weekend because they built they built yeah. their fitness and readiness for the fling and they're like that. And the phrase they used to me was, I might as well as strike well the iron's hot. Because... So yeah. their motivation was, well, I've worked really hard to this point. I knew the fling wasn't going ahead. So I want to just see where I'm at with this. Um, so there's a good example of someone just taking the date. It's moved on a couple of weeks from the race date, but they're now going, I'm going to use that that fitness and that, that I've gathered. And that, that was partly inspired by what we did in, in um, April with our, our athletes. 
And I think it's I think not having anything in, I think over time, and it's hard to predict this because we've we've only been in lockdown for seven weeks, um, and and where we are currently. But I think there has to be a slow depreciation in motivation in athletes when there is no end point of no purpose to the training. Effectively, they'll never, not they'll never, I think it's unlikely that most people would reach their peak if they don't have an end goal as a purpose for the training. So if it's just doing it to tick over and keep fit, you could just see them losing a wee bit of that edge. So I think having something in is really good, even if it's only a one mile time trial versus a Ramsey round. Just something to keep that edge is, I think, quite important. Yeah, although you could look at it a slightly different way from a, a purely selfish coaching point of view, right? I, I I will get a lot of athletes coming in who don't have any experience running ultras and they come in and say, yeah, I want to be coached and there's good reason to do that, whatever, but I've got these six races coming up in the next eight months or something. Um, not all ultras, but maybe there's three ultras in there or something. So from my side of things, it actually takes it takes years. We know it takes years for your... You might be able to run the distance. You might be able to endure that um, effort, uh, which is fine, but not necessarily... Your body's maybe not necessarily ready for that amount of volume, you know, your tendons and your joints and everything else. So in some ways, I, I could see it as if you're able to still motivate your athlete, it's actually a big, big opportunity that next year, if you can convince them to train consistently then next year they could be starting at a much higher point than when they started this year and then they could have a much better season next year but not everybody can see that bigger picture sometimes because we want to get that that feedback straight away you know i want to do the race and i want to get the medal and i want to move on to the next race yeah i think i think you're you're right in a sense there that from a purist point of view from a purist coaching point of view i think you're 100% right the vast majority of people if they use this period to train consistently for anything between 16 and 30 weeks or however long it might be before another race comes in the diary it stands to reason that if they can apply that consistent training without losing their edge then they should come out the other side of this fitter and ready to strike well the iron's hot no getting away from that yeah i i yeah. believe though that most athletes from a motivation point of view would need something as markers in between that they would approach with the mentality of a race or an event to yeah. test the limits of that training but also the thing that gets them out of bed on a wet morning when the rain's battering against the window that says, I need to go and do my intervals, but what's the point? That's the, that that becomes yeah. the point. But that's not every athlete, right? Because we're broad brushing and there's always people. So so for me, yeah. I enjoy training probably more than the racing. So I'm I'm like, I'll go yeah, up and train. Yeah, I'm like, I don't need a I don't need a race in the diary. But I do want to do something that gives me a sense of fulfilment. And I think athletes yeah. could probably do with that at this moment in time. I don't disagree with any of what you said there at all, but it was actually funny doing that uh, athlete call last week. Uh, you were on it, obviously, yeah. presenting too, but we presented those two performance training performance graphs, effectively. One of a really high-performing, consistent athlete and one who had way more challenges in their training and were much less consistent, at least for a five- to six-month period. And instantly i mean the number of messages we got back on the back of them seeing that how important that consistency is it was remarkable like with even without races people were more motivated when they realized what that might deliver you know later on when they get back to racing and and just their overall fitness strength and and capacity if they can be consistent regardless yeah yeah i think that 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 graph 
So it might be worth actually putting on the show notes a link to just those two graphs if you, for people to see, so they can click. Yeah, yeah sure. and they can see the difference between consistent high performer and someone who's inconsistent. And you can see how the inconsistency meant that over the course of the year there was no real gain in fitness, and there was no obvious peak, and there was no obvious taper. Yeah. But I think what I think that graph really I think acted as a jolt and a shock for a lot of people like a sugar rush if you want to use that phrase of people going holy nick I really need to pay attention to this I think the trick for us as coaches and for the people who've seen that and for anyone who's listening who will then look at what we put on the show notes I think what's really important for them to know is is that that's a one-time hit then you have to keep that motivation going alongside that because the things that keep you driving towards that it's easy to fall away from that and go it's only one day it's, it's, it's the classic equivalent of going I'm on a diet it's only one bar of chocolate it won't make a difference and that then becomes two or three yeah. and I think you see that from yeah. training so I think that graph was immensely powerful for everyone I think what becomes really important now is, is how we keep people f- focused on the I, I guess the prize that comes from having a view like that yeah and I guess it it's reflective of our approach to coaching in many ways. You know, we've talked about it at length already about it's not necessarily about putting athletes onto podiums, but it's just about making people better and stronger and better humans and everything else. And and when you can see that visually of, of what consistency can do in terms of your overall fitness and your health as well. And funny, I had a conversation with, uh, it was with Kaz today, funny enough, um, about at, at the moment, we are obviously surrounded. It's our community. We're all ultra runners, and that's often the people that we communicate most with, which is fine. But there's obviously many more people who are not into endurance sports or anything else at all, and maybe don't even really exercise. And I was thinking, what a gift that is and has been for us, in that we we kind of um, deliberately put ourselves in adverse situations to see how we react and we do that every day in training you know we do difficult things in training um, and that's all part of what we do but it actually gives us the tools at the moment where things are really tough that other people just don't have in their arsenal at all they don't they don't really have an outlet for that anymore and and now that they're in this situation where things feel uh, or they feel helpless and they can't necessarily work out what the best thing is to do we've, we've been practicing that for years and years and years and it's it's easy to forget that because we're surrounded by those types of people. But um, I, I kind of took a step back and thought, yeah, I'm kind of lucky. I, I have this in my life and I've been through those experiences and I've put myself in those situations and I can be that little bit more calm about what's happening at the moment and and not panic and not worry so much. And it's a shame when people don't have that, that physical and mental um, challenge in their life normally. And it's no wonder that people are, are kind of struggling at the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think one of the things that builds on that is is we know this sport and the training for it gives you a lot of resilience. It, it really gives you it gives yeah. you a lot of grounding on that and makes you really strong. And it gives you it gives you I guess a level of confidence that you can you can adapt when things go wrong because you've done it so many times and you've done it in situations where you're on top of a mountain with a tent with no pegs, so you're like, well, actually, that was potentially life-threatening, maybe a bit dramatic using that language, but we've been yeah. in situations yeah. where actually a, a, a bad decision could threaten your health and well-being. So you kind of you learn to be able to see the scale of risking something and be able to deal with it accordingly. And I think the other thing as well, Paul, I've been really, really 
surprise might be the wrong word, but I've actually been pleasantly pleased by how well people have trained through this period. Because I think they've yeah. recognised the benefits it brings to life as well as to yeah. their health and well-being in terms of actually my morning run, the amount of people you you see you see it quite often, another social media bar, but you see it looks like, where did all these runners come from? Where were they before? And it's like, it's brilliant. So many more people are exercising and they're going, I have this potential scarcity of time that I'm allowed out for, so I'm going to make sure I use it. We talked about it before. I think that's brilliant. And our athletes, I think almost all of them have embraced that. And I think that's something I would really like to see continue no matter what comes out the other end of this is going, this is important to my life, not just to my training. Yeah. And I, I don't know for sure, obviously, but I, I imagine that in some of these households where it's where the, there's one ultra runner and maybe been doing it for years and years, they're probably the leader in that household in that they're much more calm about the situation. They're a wee bit more pragmatic. They're still looking after themselves and still finding their own space as well. Um, and they can just be much more effective at trying to keep people happy and motivated and look after the family and friends and everything else as well. So I guess we're kind of lucky. And that was my point. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very grateful. I'm, ho- I'm hoping Louise doesn't hear the end of this, you know, because she will, I'm the boss. But that's okay. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, you know, there's yeah, always an exception. Yeah. Proper boss. There's, well, there's yeah, always yeah. an exception to every rule, isn't there? There's always an exception. I, d- I don't. I don't think she would argue at all that you're you're you bring a certain energy to the whole oh, family. Oh, without a doubt. Because that's 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 who you are. Yeah, that's probably what I meant. Not not being the actual boss. No, but, it, but I'm definitely not the boss. But but even just things like simple things like as a family, and it it kind of starts to move off in tangent, but it doesn't really because when we're talking about this being about adventure, as a family. One of the one of the days that really I remember really clearly from last year, last summer, was when we went to visit the Devil's Pulpit. Yeah. And we went because Louise loved Outlander, and it was we were we were at Eden Mill, uh, like a farmhouse or a farm shop nearby. And it's like the Devil Pulpit's just down the road. Let's go and visit it. And I always remember Kaylin, who's my youngest, who's eight just now, so we'd have been seven then just loving the day out because he was getting to climb in amongst it and, it and he had that sense of adventure so back to the point an adventure doesn't need to be climbing a mountain traversing the country running from one city to another it could be as simple as going and visiting somewhere you've never been before and soaking in that sense of just the beautiful outdoors and the um the experience it brings with the people you love yeah yeah i totally agree and i, I love to see parents and adults doing stuff for kids that can be small things but they feel like a big adventure to a child yeah. and I think that that's a big benefit for them when they grow up because that adventure mentality is, is built into them already and they have this kind of thirst for, for new stuff and they're curious and everything else that we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, persists for sure, yeah. Yeah. Alright, have you got anything else you'd like to say or any smaller tips or practical pieces of practical advice for anybody who's, who's thinking about any of these smaller or bigger longer term adventures that they might do on, the, on their own? You know, thinking about everything we've just talked about here and we've spoken for quite a while and we've shared our views and we could talk about some of the adventures we've done and we haven't even got into any of that we can sh- save them for a yeah. later show but it's probably worthwhile, Paul I don't, I don't know if it's maybe worthwhile as putting together... Um, maybe a, a template of things that people should consider or something like that for adventures. Yeah. 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 I think that's quite useful. And that's usually where I start when I'm doing something is, is trying to work out, well, what, what is it I want to do? Why do I want to do it? And how is this going to come together? And if you can answer some of those questions in a fairly short and um, 
clear manner, then it helps just to get some momentum behind what you want to do. Uh, and it makes you think of the other things that you have to consider. Yeah, too. okay. We'll maybe put that together and then point people to it through the, the social channels, yeah? Yeah, sounds good Excellent. to me. Excellent. So, no, I don't, don't right, have anything uh, else to add because I think we could talk about this subject forever. But, yeah, um, there's just... Yeah, I mean, if anybody's got any any specific questions or they want to call in and leave us a message about I'm thinking of doing this how might I go about it then we could maybe do a whole episode about that and just answer some questions from people potentially I'm sure we could fit that as a as a single episode yeah. if people do have questions yeah cool alrighty okay before we go James I still have a question for you. <laughs> so is, is, is it matter <laughs> this week to be ambushed I, I think so yeah right, okay. well it's happening anyway it's a good one you're gonna like this one okay go for it um so i was thinking i was thinking the other day and I had a conversation with somebody else about it as well it's not really particularly running related but i'll get on with it anyway um how we consume music has really changed over the past few years right when i first started buying music and the same as yourself uh you'd listen to you'd buy an album and you'd listen to it all the way through and it was like a complete piece of work you'd listen to the songs you maybe didn't like quite like so much and you'd listen to the ones that you absolutely loved and it felt like a a single piece of work and um with highs and lows for good reason yeah and i think that i think some of that's been lost now it's all playlists and you switch between tracks really really quickly and i do that and they've got massive playlists on spotify or whatever and it just goes from one song to the other so you don't actually listen to those complete pieces of work sometimes which is a shame i think because i think a lot of the time the artist has created it that way and for that reason in that particular order so to cut <laughs> to cut to the chase i'm finally getting to a question uh was really about what's your favorite album for running or the one album that reminds you of a favorite running memory because i know you don't always listen to music when you're running um my favorite album for running um and maybe maybe I'm or or it can be something that you were listening to when you've gone out to a particular race and whenever you put that back on again you, you kinda think of those times or Yeah. So let l- let me give you a couple then just to, to build on, right? So album. If I'm going out to do intervals and I want to listen to some music to, to G me up, there are there are yeah. there are if you said to me, pick an album to get you running, there would probably be three that I would jump to. Um there's a cult's electric because it's just quite fast paced from the off and everybody who knows me knows I'm a massive cult fan and I listened to that yesterday doing um, um, the kind of Kenyan Hills type session we, we had um, or there's a album by a band called Therapy called Trouble Gum which I listened to when I was younger and it stayed with me ever since and there's also Rage Against the Machine who I might put a selection rather than an album I might put a selection together of them however if I was picking one song yeah. And I did use this song when we were doing the one mile lava test and the song lasts four minutes and fifty something seconds. Um yeah. is Rear View Mirror by Pearl Jam. Right, okay. Yeah. There you go. Great. Good answers, James. Maybe, maybe you can sh- Maybe you can share one of your playlists at the bottom of the podcast notes or something for people. Well, we, well, I do a playlist every month for the Team Piling guys and um, I just change it on the first of every month. And it's quite eclectic, so yeah. you'll have anything from chat toppers today through to songs from the 60s. But it's the idea being just to get people experiencing different music. So why don't we link to that and people can slag me for my really bad music taste on the back of that. Okay, let's do it. Sounds good. Excellent. What kind of time, what kind of time are we at now, James? Um, we've been over an hour. All right. Yeah. Okay. By the time we cut things out and whatever, um, yeah. Well, maybe 
uh, come back and if anybody wants to give us a review on any of the podcast platforms uh, we'll maybe read out a couple next week so still get an opportunity to win some prizes uh, I think we'll do that next week um, the people that have been read out already we haven't sent those out but they'll be going out pretty soon so uh, bear with us we're just uh, trying to avoid post offices as much as we can um, but we do have the stock and we'll get your prize out to you soon um, anything else we needed to remember James? I, I'm really proud I didn't ask you that question back because when last week you asked me the question back so that's the new rule you cannot you cannot bounce uh, the question back even though I, yeah I moved on I moved on you quickly did, there, you did. So I didn't have to I didn't have to commit yeah, but nothing else for me it's really, it's really difficult yeah, it's difficult to. I find it difficult to define a favourite something, because I, I don't. I've got favourites for different moments and and favourites at different times in my life and all that as well. Yeah, so maybe I'm just non-committal. Maybe that's well. I always think of it as being like if you could only do something once more again in your life, what would you know? So if you could only yeah. run in one trail again in your life, what would you choose? And whatever comes to your gut, yeah. go with that. So the cult always comes to me first on music, but that's a different story cool nice one okay i think we'll leave it there guys thanks so much for listening so before i go this was never meant to be a thing these words at the end but i was reminded this week by someone who's been incredibly kind to me over the last few years someone who's been really open and vulnerable with me and through that as a coach athlete and a friend we've grown through the difficult times we've both faced she reminded me that I shouldn't lose sight of how your own uniqueness can impact others and that I shouldn't hold back with these things if it feels right to do it. So in my own way of thanking my smiley-eyed friend, this week I'll acknowledge grace, the gift of friendship. And whilst terrible things are happening at the moment to so many, I'll be grateful for this time. This will make us stronger. The isolation, the uncertainty, worry and suffering that threatens to drag us down can be turned into a thing of beauty and we can change your story. This weekend, I'll feel the breeze on my neck. I'll really smell that early morning air. I'll lace up my shoes and I'll run with joy for the fact that I'm here. I can move under my own power and I can see the beauty around me. Challenges and painful moments can leave lasting scars on the psyche. But what if we didn't view all of these moments as setbacks, but as gifts? Some have had the chance to spend more time with loved ones. Others have realised just how much other people mean to them and they'll show them that when we can all get back together again. So what if by surviving these challenges with grace, by being calm and seeing the good in people, situations and circumstances, you might actually help others to do the same. So don't give up. Don't give in to the boredom, the feelings of helplessness, criticism and negative self-talk. Our lives may be short, but we can live every day like we're players in an infinite game. A game without winners and a game without losers. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. I'm Paul Giblin. And I'm James Stewart. And we'll see you next time on the Pylon Ultra Pod. Boom. Yes. Right, let's move it across.